As we uh, welcome Bryce, I just want to offer a prayer for him as uh, he uh, will share with us, but I also want to pray a blessing on his family. Um, It's it's a pretty big thing to move your family from Indiana to Florida, and uh, a lot of hurdles there. Uh, Bryce and Kelsey both grew up in Florida, right? You grew up in Florida, Kelsey, also. So uh, in a way, it's moving back home for them. And uh, they have had a very hard journey. Um, uh, And I'll I'll tell you, when people face hardship and and difficulty, uh, my friend Bryce has shown great, uh, incredible grace and wisdom. And I'm so proud of him and how he's handled a very difficult situation. Uh, so he is, he's shined the light of Christ, and he's been an example to me. I'm so excited that he can share with us. Um, would you please pray with me as we pray for them and their journey? Uh, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for uh, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Uh, Lord, and we just thank you that uh, we are loved by you, that your Spirit is here and with us. And I pray a special blessing, Lord, on, on Bryce and Kelsey and Chandler and Branigan. Uh, Lord, as they, they pack up and they move uh, to a new place and a new church. We pray, God, that uh, your hand and your spirit, uh, Lord, would go with them. Lord, you teach us, you teach the Israelites that you are the Lord that, that goes with them and before them. And that has not changed uh, with your son and through your spirit. And so we pray, Lord, that you would continue to guide and, and strengthen them, give them courage and hope uh, for each new uh, part of this adventure. Lord, we uh, open our hearts now to your word, and we ask God that you would uh, continue to teach us and open us, uh, Lord, to your teaching. Uh, We want to be like your son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. As we get started this morning, I wanted to uh, give kind of a a quiz, what's called a game, that sounds more fun. Uh, that requires really nothing of you, um, but just to be thinking about, I'm going to read you some quotes, and I want you to be thinking about who uh, might have said these things. Man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us. The car, the condo, our version of success. I'm sitting in it, and I'm telling you, that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything I know. That's Brad Pitt. I don't think there's anyone who feels like there isn't something missing in their life. Eddie Murphy. I had it all, and it wasn't nothing. Muhammad Ali. This one I'll give you because I think it's important to have the the name up front. Earlier this month, you know that Tom Brady won his seventh Super Bowl. Some of you might still be mad about it. Uh, But here's a guy who is a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, that's uh, right there is almost every little kid who played peewee football's dream. Uh, but he, on top of that, has more Super Bowl wins than any other quarterback in history. Many have called him the GOAT, the greatest of all time. He is wealthy beyond his wildest dreams. I mean, he's literally married to a supermodel. But after winning his third Super Bowl ring, in an interview with 60 Minutes, he said this. He said, I'm making more money than I ever thought I could. At that time, he was under a $60 million 10-year contract. But he says, why do I have these three Super Bowl rings and still think there is something greater out there for me? There's got to be more than this. And the interviewer said, what's the answer? And Tom Brady said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. How about this one? Everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. That was King Solomon. 
And today I want to look at this idea of meaningless from the book of Ecclesiastes. Now I know some of you are thinking Ecclesiastes, I think my doctor gave me a cream for that at one point in my life, but I know it's not a typical book to go to as a guest preacher. You're not altogether off on that. But if we were to get, look at this whole book, you, you might think it was an odd book to be included in the Bible. But what this book really offers us is a, a critique of life that shows us the things that we should and the things that we shouldn't be chasing after. We have all of these stars, all of these celebrities, all of these people that so many look up to, so many want to be like. And we notice the common theme in each of them is that I got where everyone wants to be. And it's not what you'd think it is. But to really understand this book and what we're going to be looking at today in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, you have to understand the guy who wrote it, King Solomon. Solomon took over after his father, King David, and, and his rule started off really well. These were big shoes to, feel, to fill. You know that David was like the king of Israel. And when Solomon takes over, he gets, he's probably pretty young, probably his early 20s, and he gets this gift from God. God comes to him and he says to Solomon, I will give you anything that you ask me for. And, and you have to think, what would I do with a blank check from God? You know, what I, would I wish for you know, money beyond what I could ever spend? Or superpowers, or, or maybe, you know, immortal life, or all these things, immortality. But Solomon he asks for something that might surprise you. He asks for wisdom. He asks for discernment on how to rule a kingdom. As a kid, I thought, blew that one, you know, blank check. But no, Solomon asks for this wisdom. And with that, God blesses him with this unmatched wisdom. But on top of that, because of Solomon's answer, he gives him all those other things he didn't ask for. He gives him the wealth. He gives him the honor. He gives him the long life. And so Solomon begins this kingship of great promise. I mean, he wrote most of the Proverbs, the book that we recognize for its wisdom. He wrote many of the Psalms and other books of the Bible as well. But as Solomon got older, he began to make some pretty poor decisions. Like many of the kings around him, Solomon looked around and, and wanted to be like them. And so he got himself a harem with 300 wives and, and 700 concubines, 1,000 women. And many of these marriages were for political purposes. They were daughters of foreign kings, and, and he married them to align treaties with the other kingdoms around him. But with that came their foreign gods and their idols that pulled Solomon's heart away from God. And so like these that we just looked at, Muhammad Ali or these other celebrities, Solomon echoes in this book of Ecclesiastes, you know, I had it all and it wasn't nothing. In Ecclesiastes 1.14, he says, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And in his older age, Solomon writes Ecclesiastes dealing with his cynicism and dealing with his regrets. And we see this book, and because of that, Ecclesiastes is real and Ecclesiastes is messy. And it's one of the reasons I like it the most because it's so brutally honest about Solomon looking back on his life. And realizing the ways that he went wrong and the things that he chased after that didn't amount to anything. In many places it deals with this raw emotion as he struggles with the heartache that comes from spending a lifetime of chasing after all the wrong things. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1 says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. 
meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? We see Solomon begin to launch into this critique of life, his life and the lives of those who chase after the same things he did. He says, in a life like this, you, you gain nothing. You work and you work and you work, and, and what do you have to show for it? It's just the same thing over and over again. Verse 4, he says, Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. He says in this life, you toil and you toil and you gain nothing. There's this illusion of progress. There's this appearance of things marching forward, but really they're just on this endless loop, spinning our wheels. The clothes we buy will soon wear out and we'll have to buy new ones. The car we buy will, will soon be in the scrapyard and we'll have to get another one. The house that maybe lasts a little longer than those other things will eventually be torn down and put in place a new building. He says in this life you gain nothing. He says this life is also unfulfilling. He says the eye never has enough of seeing nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. He said, this life is never filling us, never satisfying us. Many are just binge-watching their life away. You know the idea of binge-watching. You turn on Netflix and you begin to just watch episode after episode until it finally, in its own AI wisdom, says, are you still watching? Like, Get off my back, Netflix. I know what I'm about. But we, we remember, you know, this, this idea of just filling ourselves. I remember working in, in the library in college, just, I know I'm a nerd, and, and looking around at all these books one day as I'm, I'm closing up and I'm thinking, there's so much that I will never know. And that's exactly where Solomon is at. He says, you'll never be full. You'll never have enough. These things of this world can never satisfy all of our desires. So he says, in this life, we, we gain nothing. And this life is, is unfulfilling, and, and, and really, it doesn't last. We talk about leaving a legacy. We talk about the life that we leave behind and, and the memories and, and the things that we want to teach our children, but even that, Solomon says, is eventually meaningless. Verse 10, he says, Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generation." And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. How many of you could tell me the names of your great-great-grandparents? And, and no, Mr. and Mrs., your last name doesn't count. Even just a few generations removed, here we are, and, and you don't even know the names of your own family, let alone their stories or what they were like. And so all of this leads Solomon to conclude in verse 14, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. This word that he uses for meaningless is a, is a word used to describe vapor or breath. It's, it's just smoke. It's standing out on a cold winter morning and, and seeing your breath, and it's gone in an instant. It's immaterial. There's no substance to it. Now, when I asked Jordan what I should preach this morning, if there's anything specific, he said, no, just come preach your heart out. Whatever you feel better preach, come encourage us. 
Don't you feel so encouraged this morning? Aren't you glad you came to church? It's all meaningless. But this is the type of hopeless existence that not just Solomon wrote about thousands of years ago, it's the life that so many live each and every day. There are those that say there, there is no God or God is dead. And we've explained God the way we have no reason for them. We're much smarter than that these days. This is all there is. You live, you die, that's it. Even major world religions like Hinduism or, or Buddhism, their hope is to reach a state of nothingness. Nirvana, that they're recreated over and over, reincarnated over and over again until they reach enlightenment and are, are extinguished. They're swallowed up into this collective unconscious. And so practically speaking, more than half of the world believes that after this life, there's nothing. And so when the belief that there is nothing after this life becomes the predominant one, there's only two logical conclusions. The first is hedonism, this constant pursuit of pleasure. If we just live and die and nothing is gained, if it's unfulfilling, if no one remembers you when you're gone, then the best thing you can do is fill yourself up on all of the pleasures that life has to offer. We see this perspective again from Solomon in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 15. He says, so I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15, 32. He says, if the dead are not raised, if, if there is nothing after this life, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. We see this in Solomon's own life. He had acquired political power all of the women and wealth that he could want, but still there was this emptiness that he couldn't satisfy. We see it in the song Party Like It's 1999, which was written in 1982 because they believed that the world would end in 2000. And so the last moments we have left, let's just party it up, live for pleasure, live for ourselves. Or there's the other end of the spectrum. If this life, if there's nothing after, maybe it's not hedonism as the answer, but maybe it's just nihilism. There's no meaning, no purpose. This is the kind of life that looks around at the world and says, what's the point? I mean, we're all just going to die anyway. There's no purpose in it. There's no meaning. Again, it's a sentiment that Solomon echoes. He says, so I hated life because the work that was done under the sun is grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And it sounds so bleak. It sounds so despairing. But if this life is really all there is, then Solomon is right. It's all meaningless. I mean, at most, we have, what, a, a hundred years on this earth? Many of us far fewer. If this life is all there is, then what hope do we have? But, of course, we're here this morning because we believe that this life is not all that there is. Listen again to what Solomon says in verse 14. I have seen all of the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Did you catch it? He says, under the sun. Solomon is describing a life for us apart from God. Under the sun describes a life that is focused on this world with no concern for the one to come. Apart from God, this life is meaningless. But when you know how the story ends, that changes things. 
And chances are you've probably at some point in your life had a, a movie ruined for you, a spoiled for you. Someone's told you the ending, someone's told you the twist. I had a friend of mine in college that they were sitting down to watch The Sixth Sense, uh, and during the previews, his parents got in an argument, and so his dad stood up, said, well, Bruce Willis is dead the whole time anyway, and marched out of the room. Uh, I mean, that'll ruin the movie for you. And so you think if a movie is ruined, you have this spoiler, then you would think that would, that would ruin the movie. It would make it less meaningful to watch, right? Well, maybe not. You see, a study done in 2011 actually showed that people who had movie twists or movie plots spoiled for them actually rated the movies higher than those who didn't have it spoiled. And the reason for that is because people knew how the story ended, knew what to look for throughout the movie. They got more out of it. And as Christians, we know the end of the story. And so as a result, we know what to look for throughout this life. And as a result, we get more out of it. We find meaning in the seeming meaninglessness. You see, as wise as Solomon might have been, we know one far wiser. Jesus, who himself was called the wisdom of God. Who is called one greater than Solomon. One who shows us the end of the story. Revelation 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be more, no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. You see, each of us have a choice of how we will choose to live this life, where we will choose to find our meaning. A life under the sun? A life focused on the here and now? A life devoid of God? Or a life that looks to the end of the story? A life oriented on the promises of God? Because when you compare these two ways of living, they couldn't be more different. Solomon says there's nothing gained. In Revelation, the end of the story, we see that we inherit the riches of heaven. Solomon says there's nothing new. While we're told God is making everything new. Solomon says it's exhausting. Jesus shows us that God grants us peace and rest. Solomon says life under the sun is unfulfilling, while life focused on God will bring perfect fulfillment. Solomon says no one remembers you. And Jesus came so that we could be God's children and have perfect fellowship. So which way will you choose to live? Where will you choose to find your meaning? 
Because the fact is, one of these two positions have to be true. Either we, we die and there is nothing, everything is meaningless, or we die and God will judge our lives based on whether or not we placed our faith and meaning in Him. Both of them are positions of faith. Both are positions of trust. None of us have been to the other side. And so ultimately it comes down to belief. Either there is nothing after this, or there is everything after this. And I know that for so many, so, so many, this past year has been one of grief and loss and doubt and despair and, and wondering if there's any hope and hoping for more. And it's in these moments, I just want to encourage you to look to the Savior. It's not a startling revelation. I mean, the answer is look to Jesus. But we look to Jesus not only because he knew the end of the story, but because he made the end of the story possible. Through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we find meaning in the meaningless. We find hope in the hopeless. We find joy in the joyless. And we find fullness in the emptiness. Because his life raised from the grave gives us the strength to rise above the meaningless pursuits of this life. To live the one that we were created to live. And so this morning, I simply want to ask, what does your heart long for? Where have you placed your hope? Is your hope based in, in a life devoid uh, of God that seeks to find meaning under the sun? And a life focused on the here and now? Or do you have hope for something greater to come? I know it seems a silly question to ask in church because we would all say we place our trust in God. But how are we practically and, and really living our lives? Are we living it with the understanding, reflecting that we have a hope that is greater? Or are we still trying to pursue the things that we think will bring us meaning in the here and now? Whatever the case, we have a chance this morning to turn away from that life that is empty and unfulfilling and meaningless to a life that is full of the love and grace and truth that only Jesus can bring. Father, we come before you this morning, and we're here to worship you and to praise you and to learn from your word. We also come with all our hardships. We've dealt with loss. Maybe we're carrying baggage. We're dealing with regrets or cynicism like Solomon did. Maybe we're just facing these insurmountable obstacles or seeming insurmountable obstacles that just lead us to conclude in the way that we practically live our lives, this life is meaningless. But God, we know that you provide meaning in the meaningless, that you provide hope in the hopeless. And when we fix our eyes on you and we turn our eyes above what is under the sun, we see Jesus. We see our Lord and our Savior who led and died and was raised to life so that we could find hope in him. And we could find meaning in the life that you created us to live. And so God, I pray this morning that in these moments where we're tempted to pursue the world calls, the things the world calls good and the things the world says will bring us meaning that we will turn from that. We will look to you. And we will see you. We will see the scars in your hands and the scars in your side and the love that you poured out for us that brings us true meaning and true purpose. 
And when we think of all of the things that this world has to offer, we would discount them as what they really are, meaningless in the light of who you truly are. God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your goodness that brings us hope even in difficult times. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand in response to what Bryce has shared with us? A response of just praising the Father, praising the Son.